This podcast is part of the Everyday Heroes Podcast Network, the network for first responders and those who support them. Hey guys, welcome to the Hero Academy podcast, the place where you can celebrate and highlight our frontline heroes, people such as nurses, firemen, EMS, police officers, and military are all heroes without capes. I don't care about politics, only positivity and purpose. I only care about those that have chosen to serve our society. I believe in collaboration over competition. Here, you'll learn the secrets and strategies that let ordinary people become extraordinary inside of their purpose. Sometimes we'll throw in some simple side hustles that everyday regular people are doing, things that you could do to make some extra money, especially if you're starting to think about retirement and what's next. Inside this podcast each week, you'll learn from people like you that were working full time, but still found the time to create a course, grow a big team, create a coaching program, a large audience, or a profitable side hustle. The steps they took, their backstories, and how they overcame their burnout that they were facing. The perfect blend of mindset and techniques. Carpe diem. Now let's get your dream lit for your freedom. I'm your host and coach, Super Dave. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the Hero Academy. This week we have Marlon Marachi. I'm very, very excited for my friend from the other coast, the West Coast, L.A., uh introduce yourself sir hey uh dave thanks for having me uh look uh taking a trip down memory lane is really uh it's something else knowing that um i've been retired for uh, since july of 2022 so it's been you know about a year and a half oh yeah. man i can't yeah, how many how, how many did you do how many years did, did you put 24 in 24 with the los angeles police department Okay. And then what ends up happening is I was retired for like four months. And in those four months, I had a couple of projects that are dear to me and passionate. One of them was I wanted to get back to the uh, law enforcement community. So I have a lot of discipline uh, experience uh, in the world of internal affairs. Uh, you name it uh, about cops getting jammed up or cops doing dumb stuff. Yeah, yep. cops doing even and cops even doing the right thing, and someone has a personal vendetta to jam them up. You name it, I've been there, I've seen it, I've tried it, I've investigated, et cetera, et cetera. And so, what I wanted to do is to give back to the next generation of new sergeants to say, hey, you know what? When you are going to be investigating these particular types of complaints, this kind of business is serious stuff. So I go by the motto of no stone goes unturned. Meaning when you get it, you know this because you're a detective. Look, when you're going to yep. lead and when you're going to be investigating, just do right and do everything that you have to do to either A, exonerate that officer or B, if the evidence and the facts lead you one way, then, hey, you know what? It's going to be sustained and you did it. Have some accountability and maybe you'll get jammed up and get some suspension and, and, and call it a day, right? And so that was dear to me because not many people talk about uh, internal affairs. So I spent four months going on these guest appearances on all these podcasts, uh, come to realize that I got hired um, uh, to teach internal affairs, uh, post-certified course with the state of California. 
So that was great. But within those four months, you know what? I put an application in for Cal State University for a lieutenant spot. And man, I got to tell you, man, when they called me and said, hey, Sergeant Mirage, we want to schedule you for your lieutenant oral, your interview. And bro, (laughs) without hesitation, I said, you know what? I don't want to do this. Uh, As a matter of fact, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but can I withdraw from the process? No, I told them I would like to withdraw from the process. And this lady just kept me on the phone and said, no, no, no. You come with a lot of experience. The chief really is impressed with your package, your education, your LAPD. He's ex-LAPD. So we started talking and she finally said, look, uh, whoever gets the spot, it's pretty much pretty much lined up to be the next chief of police because he's retiring within a year. So, yeah, I let my ego get the best of me. I'm thinking, you know what? It's not bad. I can probably be a chief of police and get all these leadership qualities that I've learned throughout my career with LAPD and and go to the small department. I mean, it's only like 20, 21, I think. With, I think it's like 23, maybe 25 with civilian staff. And so, you know what? I went for it. I She convinced me. I went to the interview. And two days after that, they offered me the spot. And, 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 and I did. And I went over there. But I got to tell you, Dave, I did it for a year and just I started thinking to myself, man, you know what? I've been there and done that. I feel stagnant. I don't feel challenged. I love teaching and I love this internal affairs stuff. And the drive too, man, on the freeway, I was driving over an hour on my way back home. Gas. I started looking at my pay stub, my monthly income. And then I started thinking, wait a minute. I started teaching too. And then I started doing crunching the numbers and just, I, I come to realize that me teaching twice a week for three, you know, three times a month is equivalent to what I'm making and I'm driving and doing all this. Granted, my, all my officers, corporals, they love me. They wanted me to stay. It was a tough decision, but you know what? I told myself, you know what? I, I got to do this. It's, it's a calling. I'm very passionate about this stuff. So after a year, I, I hung it up, man. I, you know, I walked into the chief's office and said, Hey, you know, I got to go, you know, I quit my day job. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you for knowing yourself and just knowing that like the environment wasn't, wasn't right for you. Yeah. And, and it's worked out, you know, last November is when uh, I, I said goodbye. And ever since then uh, I had this idea of launching this particular podcast, and I'm sure you're you're aware of. Uh, um, look, I call it exactly what it is, right? I mean, clarity will always win. That's what my boss at Savage Training Group always says. Is it's internal affairs? Uh, it's a police podcast, and you know what? If you are a guest that has had an IA, uh, you were an investigator, or you were an adjudicator, right? An administrator that dealt with a really complex or a compelling case that really sticks with you that story like oh my god i can't believe this happened then i they come on and um we're 20 episodes in and i gotta tell you dave man every single one of the guests their stories have gotten it and all i ever ask for is just lessons learned and takeaways you know because people are listening people are watching and hey you know, why are you telling me the story and what can I get out of it? So I started that uh, in November and and that's that's what I do, man. It's so much fun. How often do you release your episodes? So what I do is every Saturday, I just I, once a week. 
So what okay. I do is I drop an episode once a week, but because I have a studio where I go in and I invite, I used to invite three guests. So we used to do three episodes, record and film three episodes, but now I'm down to two. And so yeah, because record, it's exhausting to just talk and talk and talk all it day. Is, man, you know, I, I got to have some wit. I mean, you know, I got to have my old fashioned, I don't know, you know, I have an old fashioned <laughs> right after. Uh-huh. <laughs> Because it is mentally, it just gets to you. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a little exhausting, but it's so much fun. I, I learn a lot about myself. I learn a lot about uh, the process. Uh, don't ever think, especially, you know, this in this profession, don't ever think that, you know, everything because something in assembly bill, legislation, new laws, new practices uh, come into play. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been quite a ride. But more than anything, I really feel like a lot of the guests are, are, are being validated and valued. I mean, take a look at yourself. You're a 27-year veteran. And to have an opportunity to tell a story, uh, to come in and really have the audience get to know Dave, that, that's, what I've been, uh, that's what I've been reflecting a lot. Uh, I'm, proud. I'm proud of the fact that in my career, I've only been called to the carpet uh, two times. And, uh, the most recently it was because of, it's always been someone else's actions, <laughs> of course. but, uh, most recently it was, I was as a detective, the, um, uniformed gang officers brought in a guy for drugs and he was sitting in the, uh, prisoner room directly across from my desk. So, I had the pleasure of seeing who went in and out of in and out of the room. And I said, you know, while he was in the detective squad, no one else but myself went inside that room. So and, and then um, and I said, and who did he describe as the person that hit him? <laughs> and they said they said it was a white male with uh, brown hair. I'm like, oh, that excludes me. <laughs> no, no, I said, yeah, I said, who? Ooh, that excludes me. All right. <laughs> and people don't understand. And I'm glad you bring something up like that. Let's just say hypothetically, they did name you. Yep. And you know, deep down inside, hey, I didn't do anything. But the but the emotions uh, and what they put you through, uh, I'll, I'll say it best like this. One of my guests came in and has this quote that has stuck with me. It's not the penalty. I'm sorry. It's not the. It's not the penalty that's the punishment. Right. Because sometimes when you and again, if you're if you hold yourself accountable for what you did, you know, chances are it's going to be sustained and you're going to get jammed up and get suspension days and call it a day. That's fine. I've learned. I move on. Right. So the penalties for the most part is right, whether there's going to be penalty or whether it's not. You've been exonerated, whatever. It's the process. That's the penalty. It's the way we're treated. And yeah. that goes a long way, because think about that. That just happened maybe a week ago. Yeah. Don't drag this on for like eight, nine months, 10. You have no communication. You don't know what's going on. Uh, you feel like you're in a dark place and you're always wondering while you're driving to work, like, man, you know, when is this going to be over with or, you know, what's going to happen? And That's a really like, long time. This, uh, yeah. this particular one that I'm talking about, uh -huh. the guy made the complaint, like, I want to say like a year. I don't know. I don't know how long it's been going on. Because I think he was arrested in 22. And, um, and then I asked them, I'm like, do you know if he, you know, what's the status of his criminal case? 
I was just curious. I was like, did he, uh, cause he kept saying, I'm going to beat this charge. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Well, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> it, has, it makes no difference to me whether or not you beat this charge. Exactly. I'm like, you spend all the money you want to spend on your attorney, your high price. I, I don't care either way. <laughs> right. I'm just, I'm just processing your paperwork. So, right. uh, you don't want to talk to me. You don't want to waive your Miranda rights. No problem. I'm out. Deuces. <laughs> uh, yes. I'm just carrying the water. I'm just, yep, carrying, I'm the just carrying the water. Yep. The hey, you need a phone call. You need a phone call. I'll tell your officer, you know, like as a detective, it's so easy to, um, stay out of the fray. Um, usually typically you don't see detectives getting jammed up, um, unless they let someone get under their skin. This particular guy was, had his feet up on the desk and, um, he actually got underneath the sergeant's skin because he was asking for the guy in charge and it was like, it was on the midnights and the sergeant was the person in charge. And he's like, I want to see, he's like, I want to see your chief. <laughs> and we're, we're in a large department. It's like, uh, it's, you know, it's 2,400 members. So, <laughs> so you can imagine it's a pretty large department. The chiefs, they don't work past five o'clock. Oh, you should have been sarcastic. Said, sure. Not a problem. We'll call him. We'll, he'll, he'll, we'll, we'll wake him up. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Don't worry about it. Well, he'll be so, here soon. Stand by. So, so the uh, sergeant that was dealing with them, he got a little annoyed with them, and uh, he's like, he's like, "What do you need? You got your phone calls? You got you got you went to the bathroom?" And the guy was just like, he just kept pressing and pressing until the uh, sergeant walked off mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, what is the um, what's the craziest story that you've heard? The wildest one that you've that you that you dealt with or that you just heard through the grapevine gosh that's a really good one man so in lepd we have a process that we call the board of rights hearing it's it's basically a tribunal hearing uh, which to this very day i haven't gotten a phone call or an email to say that hey we're an agency that does it as well so we're the only agency in the entire united states that adopted this border inquiry process from from the united states navy and so when you are brought up on serious, serious allegations like fraud, lying, misleading, you name it, uh, th things that you can think of moral turpitude, if you will, as an officer, then the chief of police uh, will order you or direct you to this hearing. However, my recommendation is going to be removal, but I'm going to leave it up to a three panel member, uh, two command staff officers and a civilian or you have a choice of three civilian hearing officers to pretty much determine your fate. So you can imagine it's like being in civil trial, right? Uh, you, you plead, obviously a lot of people plead not guilty uh, for the most part. And then uh, the department, which was my job as the prosecution, yeah, I had that role. We'll put on our case. We'll do opening arguments, case in chief. We'll bring in uh, uh, witnesses uh, so they can hear testimony. We'll introduce evidence so they can examine and then once we, uh, we rest, uh, then the defense puts on their case. Same thing. Uh, then we'll do closing arguments and that's it. They'll make a decision. If they're, if you're found guilty on one count, let's just say there's three allegations and two of them are not guilty, but one of those counts is a guilty count. Then we move over to the uh, penalty phase. And in the penalty phase, you have, let's see, character witnesses. Um, and I've seen some character witnesses actually moved the needle. Like sometimes hearing officers be like, man, we're going to terminate this cat. 
And then all of a sudden <laughs> they come in and it just starts moving. It doesn't happen quite often, but you'll get some heavy, some heavy hitters who come in there and say, Hey, Dave, Dave's a stand up guy. Dave has done in 27 years, he has split the Red Seas and walks on water. And I understand that he was found guilty on this count, but you know what? Dave can work for me anytime, any day. And sometimes that'll call, that can get you from termination to heavy suspension. Could, depends, right? And then of course you got your package review. So when you ask me what's the craziest or, you know, the story, I've done about 30 plus of these hearings. Wow. And five of those have been actually terminations. But I got to tell you, man, it's a dark moment. It's a dark moment for all stakeholders. It's a dark moment for the board members. It's a dark place for me knowing that, look, if, if he or she is found guilty, they're going to lose everything, their house, their career. If they had aspirations since they were a kid to be a police officer, that's gone. If so, you get yeah. fired from the LAPD, can you, does that mean that you're basically blacklisted from everything in the state of California? Interesting you say that. So Senate Bill 2 uh, that took in effect 2023, just last year, pretty much says that if you are found guilty, I'm sorry, if you're brought up on allegations of these type of misconduct, so they have the definition, nine definitions of serious misconduct. One of them is dishonesty. Let's just take that as as, as the, uh, you know, the, the cream of the crop, if you will. Right. Yep. So if you get fined for lying and you get found guilty, you're done. The state of California says, you know what, we're going to take your license. We're going to suspend one. Well, well, we have the option to suspend it, but we have a, a, the option to revoke that license. And so, yeah. So to answer your question is you can no longer do that in this, uh, think that you can go and get fired from LAPD and then go find some little small agency throughout the state of California and get hired and get a second chance. So those second chances, they're pretty much gone. Uh, I wonder, I wonder if there's other States across the country that would take that person. Um, I, I would think that that would come up in the background investigation. Like that would be yes. a big red flag. Absolutely. Uh, anyone that's been fired from any agency. Right. So we, uh, we at Savage Training Group, and, and by the way, I teach this, we have a two-day post-certified course uh, through Savage Training Group. Uh, what we, we are going to be teaching in Springfield, Missouri. Um, I know that Missouri, I want to say this, uh, the state of Illinois has mirrored pretty much all of our standards when it comes to police officers. So, hey, if you're listening, you're in the state of Illinois and you get jammed up for some serious misconduct, Chances are you're probably not going to get uh, hired at another agency in that state. Mm. And I want to say there's two other states, but it's, again, this is kind of fairly new. Uh, what I do know is Peace Officers Bill of Rights in throughout the United States um, are not uh, as strict or not as friendly or as long as ours, uh, if you will. So yeah. to pinpoint one, man, that's that's... That's a good one. But but we will talk about something funny that happened to me when I worked patrol. I can tell you that. Yeah, all right. A couple of stories about some fun stuff. But um, look, man, sometimes you decide to cut corners and sometimes you decide not to be truthful, forthcoming, forthright and honest and, and, and have integrity. And, and you know that 
what you did and you're not holding yourself accountable. Uh, I've had, a, I ha I've had a lot, a couple of those. And again, I don't want to give the audience this impression that, you know, internal affairs and LEPD is firing all kinds of people. We're talking about a really, really small fraction. How many members, how many member department is it in general? So right now we're probably looking at north of 8,000. So at one point Ooh. we were at 10,000. So imagine, so there's only a hundred border rights per year. Yeah. So if you have a hundred border right hearings per year through internal 1%. affairs. Yeah, it's 1%. Yeah. And well, not only that, 50% of those are actually directed because you can opt for a board. So let's just say you and I uh, go out there and do police work. And next thing you know, we're being brought up on neglect of duty, whatever. You and I violated policy and procedure and we neglected to do this or that, right? And so we both say, that's not what happened. We didn't neglect, we didn't do anything wrong, but they decide to sustain these allegations and they want to give a suspension. So let's just say you and I both got a five day suspension for neglect of duty. Well, I can opt for this hearing mm. and I'm going to plead not guilty because I didn't do this. So you have those where you opt for a board of rights. So out of the 100, you're probably talking about half of those are directed border rights facing termination. So in reality, you're talking about 0.05% yeah. and less. Yep. So I just want to make sure we understand, you know, when it starts, when we start talking about the overall picture of the disciplinary system within LEPD, that it's, uh, hey, look, you know what? We get it right. It's a good system. Let's not, let's not get I know. Twisted. I know just from experience that most officers are good. They have good intentions. Their heart's in the right place. And then, you know, people are people. So you're going to have that, yeah. that half of a 1%, half of, what's half of 1%? 0.05%. 0.05, yeah, 0.005. You're, you're going to have half, of, you're going to have half of that 0 0.02, 0.0025, <laughs> right? Exactly. That, that got the job for the wrong reasons uh, yes. and they don't have the people's best intentions or, you know, best interest at heart. And you're going to have those people that people are people, right? People are people. And we start uh, blending into what we call organizational culture, what we call cop culture. And you and I both know that culture for the most part kind of dictates how you're going to do police work uh, or how you're not going to do police work. And sometimes it's, it's just that, Hey, you know what, this is what I was taught to do. And this is what I do. And no one's taught me any different. You know, were you working in IA during some of those, uh, gang task force scandals? Oh, uh, you talked about the Rampart scandal. Yeah. Yeah. The Rampart was that just before you got on or was that, uh, that was that, well, interesting story. This is going to be a good one right here. Check this out. So I'm in the Academy. Three, we're like almost done. I think we're, I think it was August. Three months into the academy, one of our instructor comes in and says, hey, I hate to drop this bomb on you, but we just had an officer uh, go into the evidence locker, evidence property room, and check out cocaine and pretty much distribute it to all his workers and return, return the actual same bag with uh, a bag of baking soda or powdered sugar. Oh my God. And we're like, and he just got convicted and it's the big news and it's going to be a huge, huge scandal. So we're giving you a heads up and we're like, <laughs> okay, that doesn't sound so like I want to go out and be on probate. Okay. Got it. You know, of course, all of us are like, I can't believe right. this is happening. 
but yeah, man, uh, that talk about culture and talk about doing police work uh, in, uh, in, you know, Rampart Crash Unit, Crash Standing, uh, what it stands for is Crime Reduction Against Street Hoodlums. So that's what we call <laughs> the crash. Yeah. But you know what I've learned throughout my show, because I've had a, I've had some guests, you know, old school cats that can talk about. It. I actually had a guest who was part of the internal affairs investigative team to settle his unit over 500 cases as it relates to the Rampart scandal. Because what ends up happening is everyone starts filing. Everyone starts saying I was illegally arrested. Right. One, two, exactly. So from the criminal, so you could imagine criminally in terms of the procedure, you have district attorneys, city attorneys, public defenders going, I can't believe this happened. So they had to take care of all that. But once they finished all that, they identified about 500 plus cases and gave it to internal affairs to go for the administrative, oh. uh, uh, you know, review or the administrative adjudication. Like, do we jam these guys up and sustain and fire them for what they did or not? And what it turns out to be uh, is that it's not as a big scandal as it it's as the news uh, sensationalize it to be, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Meaning. You had Rafael Perez, who did his thing, and his partner, Nino Durton, who did they were just they were just cutting corners, dirty, dirty, dirt, dirty and cor corrupt. Yeah. Corrupt. We we already know that. But to say that the entire unit was doing what they were doing, that wasn't the case. And I think that's what illuminated and highlighted the entire United States. Like, oh my God, look at LAPD with the scandal and all these cops are just corrupt. And that's not what happened. So I wasn't there. What I do know, you want to hear another funny story. This is a great one. We are in probation uh, in our probationary period to a whole year. Uh, I'm in Foothill Division with a partner. I'll never forget this white cat named Charles. I'll never forget. Real good dude, Charlie. Nice guy. He had like a month ahead of me to finish probation. And traditionally in the LAPD, you have to do a one-year probation and then you have to transfer out. It's what they call the wheel. It's like, Look, you were a probationer here. You're a boot P1. You're out. You, you got to go somewhere else. And you get a wish list. You actually can call personnel and say, okay, I want to go to 77th. I want to go to Southwest. Or I want to go to this division. Okay, cool. But you don't always get your choice. Uh -huh. so, so Charlie on a Friday got, no, I think the list came out like on a Wednesday or Thursday. And he knew that he was going to Rampart. Now at the time, the Rampart scandal just went down. So uh, the whole station had news cameras. They were following them into the, uh, into the gate, into the parking lot. I mean, it was just a hot mess. It, basically, you're on stage <laughs> when you get to Rampart Division. So on a Friday, he gets a call from the Los Angeles Fire Department. And the fire department says, hey, man, I, you know, we're giving you a real, real late notice, but we have one spot available on Monday for the fire academy. He said, I'll are take it. <laughs> he goes, are you interested? And he goes, huh, I'm more than interested. Yes, yes, yes. So he walks into the captain's office, gives him his badge and his gun, and come Monday, done. And here we are 25 years later, and I'm sure Charlie has been in the fire department ever since. So, <laughs> Let me ask you this. In terms of pay, is it on par, uh, fire and, and PD, or does one make more than the other? I think they make a I think they make more than what we do. Okay. Sure. 
All right. All right. You know, you know, the, you know, you know what they say, right? They love firefighters, but they hate cops. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I've never seen anyone not love a firefighter. <laughs> exactly. Like they can do no wrong, you know? It's pretty much true. Um, I know a lot of, I, I, you know, when I worked midnights, I used to hang out in the firehouses because, um, you know, they would let us come in and uh, relax there on our meal. And I, I got to know a lot of the chiefs and I play cards with a good buddy of mine and he always busts balls about being a cop. <laughs> you know, it's like, and it, you can't even bust balls about being a fireman because it's such a great job. Yeah, unless it's unless it's not paid. Unless it's not yeah, paid because we have a lot of volunteers. On, hey, let me tell you something, dude. I, I ain't trying to go into no burning building. Me neither. Wait, me neither. I, I'm not. A, that's not. My, I'm not about that life, man. I, you know. Hey, when I was in the Navy, we had firefighter school for like three days, and you know, we donned the whole uniform, the mask, and everything. And they're like, "Hey, you got to go in that dark room." And it's smoking. You got to get, you know, you got to do a rescue. <laughs> I'm like, why? You can't see anything. And I think at one point we had to have a, like a rope, like a thin rope that you can feel as you're moving. And I said, ah, no, we're good. I'm good. Peace. <laughs> Pieces. I'm done. I don't want to do this. So no. Yeah. Pretty much at 18, when the recruiter came in and said, hey, you know, you don't know where your life will be four years from now that's when the seed was planted for me. And I was like, that's where I'm go I'm going in that direction. So then I was looking at Florida. I was looking at California. I joined the NYPD for a very short time. Uh, five, five months. I had like six weeks left to graduate. And then I got the greatest phone call in the world for an, my current department. And I was like, yes, I'll take it. And I left there as fast as humanly possible. Um, I imagine the similar scenario happens with LAPD when they get the phone call for like a, a much higher pay paying department that's close to home. Cause I know right around LA, there are some really, really high paying departments. There is, uh, uh, I gotta tell you, Dave, pay has been a challenge, uh, for the city of Los Angeles. Uh, there is, uh, I I think same thing, there. same thing for same thing for New York City. It's been a, it's been a big challenge. They just got a, a, a big bump a uh, couple years ago um, that put them at 160, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, um, I, I want to say to this very day, you have an agency that's offering a seventy thousand dollar sign in bonus. Like last Yeah. Yes. For bonus. And these cats are making one hundred and twenty plus just to show up. I know, I know. It's and I, it's wild. And, there's and they're still having and they're still having trouble recruiting. <laughs> yes, that's the problem. You know, re, uh, you know, the recruitment is, and, and you know, we can have a whole conversation about that. How, you know, a young kid, uh, and I call them kids because you know we're a little older now, uh, where they're looking uh, at getting into law enforcement, and if if they're bright and savvy as they should be. They would look into the big picture, meaning, okay, if I'm going to do this kind of job and I'm going to make a rest, hook and book, right? Um, you know, what's in it for me? I'm, I'm doing something good for society. I am, you know, I'm helping uh, people not get victimized for violent crimes. And I make this arrest and next thing you know, they're out or, or, or there's no bail. And, and, and here we are again, and they're committing the crimes 
uh, again and over and over again. So that's something that I didn't think about when I came on the job. I mean, my best friend uh, is the one who influenced me to come on. Uh, you know, he's been my friend since we were in high school and I was in the Navy. I didn't want to reenlist. And he told me, man, he was in the Academy when I was in my last year in the Navy. And he's like, this, this is the best job ever. And, you know, since him and I have a lot of compatibility, uh, he was a, a, a major influence for me to get into this career. So, yeah, retention's high. There is an agency right now in the uh, in the South Bay here in California. Get this. You can work patrol double time. And now they bumped it up to triple. Wow. So they're saying, listen, man, you just you just got to log on. Look, come on in <laughs> and just, you know, suit up. Uh, log on and we'll pay you triple the amount of time that you make an hour. Have you, and still having a hard time. <laughs> Do you know what is the highest paid department in, in Cali? Oh, I want to say probably, uh, Northern California, maybe Santa Clara. I want to say maybe they're in the one fifties, one eighties. I know San Francisco bumped it up to like one thirty K, but then again, 130 K in San Francisco living in the, in, in San Francisco is, that's probably going to get you a one bedroom apartment. But I know that there are some detectives with overtime. So they got, um, so they're getting an overtime. They got the increase in detective pay. I know of a guy that's like up there at like two fifty. Oh yeah, absolutely. 200 K club in this is, is it's where it's at, where you can live decent and comfortable and have a, you know, a really good uh, social life have a good family life uh, to the point where, you know, you can even have a, a, a stay home, you know, wife. Uh, but, but you're working your butt off at, at work. That those are the consequences. And, you know, yeah. unfortunately for me, I did that for 20 years and there's a lot of days where now that I'm enjoying my life more than ever, uh, where I, I reflect and say, you know what, was it really, really worth it? Six, seven days a week, not being, not being home with my daughter, uh, and just not being whole with my family, uh, really trying to live uh, a healthy, emotional uh, life, or I should say. You hit the gym now? Do you uh, you walk? I hit it every day, man. Good, good. Yeah, so me. I'm I'm a seven day. I'm a seven day a week guy myself. Nice. I'm a soccer dude. That's you know. I I'm a I'm. I just turned fifty five. I mean, I, I still I you know. I can still do. Hey, man. I can go on the pitch and give you 90 minutes right now. Every Sunday, me and my 50 old heads get together and yeah, they, they keep wondering why, why Marlon is out there just running around like he's 35. I said, Hey, I'll do it. But you know, it's going to take me like three days to recover. Cause come Wednesday, I'm still walking real sore, but it's worth it. You know, before, uh, before we start recording, you were telling me you're Peruvian, your family is Peruvian. Yeah. Um, you, you've been back. I actually did. I went back to uh, Peru with my daughter, uh, my 19-year-old daughter, in August, and we went to Cusco and we went to Machu Picchu. Let me tell you something, man. I, and I say this, I've been saying this a lot. I am a fraudulent Peruvian. And, and listen, that's that's my land. That's my country. Mi tierra, mi sangre. That's everything for me. And, you know, I'm all like, I'm 100. But I realized that after going to Machu Picchu, I've just been a fraud. Because I didn't know the history, the Inca Empire and the history behind uh, the, um, 
the Incas and uh, how Machu Picchu was built. And that's uh, high on my bucket list. High, high, high. Let me tell you something. On my bucket list it is it's for one. It's hard to describe. It is an amazing experience, and I told myself, "Gosh, I cannot believe I've waited all these years to come here." And I've been claiming I'm 100% Peruvian. So you know what? I went to go talk smack. I went back to all my Peruvian friends out here. I'm like, hey, man, have you ever been to Cusco? If you haven't been to Cusco or Machu Picchu, you ain't a true Peruvian. Because you got to know your history, you know. Did you play soccer? Did you play soccer while you were in Peru? That's a religion, bro. Come on. That's 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 my thing. That's 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 my jam, bro. So the reason the reason why I ask is because. Being a big soccer fan, you have to play while you're there because I'm a big – I told you uh, my only sport is is uh, fighting, jiu-jitsu. Yeah, um, I was, I was, I was big – MMA. I was big into jiu-jitsu. So I took a trip to Japan, and, of course, I had to bring my gi with me because I had to go train in Japan. And I actually did that. I, I rolled with some Japanese guys for like three – I took a three-hour class and had the time of my life. <laughs> But that's why I'm like, I'm like, there's no way you went to Peru and didn't play soccer while you were there. I got to lace him up with my cousin. My cousin and I were only one year apart and he's, he's a soccer fanatic, just like me. I got to tell you, I always say this, if I would have stayed home, I would have ended up either being a professional soccer player, or I was going to be a commissioned uh, naval officer. My dad spent 32 years in the Peruvian Navy and retired as an admiral. Wow. So it was either or. Yeah. But soccer is just dear to me. Uh, I'm blessed that I can still uh, get out there and uh, ball up at a much slower pace and definitely uh, as sore. Uh, them bones, man. But it's yeah, I don't I don't train jujitsu anymore because I like going to the gym and I don't like being sore and having a sore neck all the time. I, I just I don't. That's why I don't train and I don't need it because I'm. I'm doing a gentleman's job now. I wear a suit and tie and there you go. You know, it's, it's a gentleman's <laughs> job. So like, um, I just feel like I tell everyone that's in uniform, like you should be training in something, uh, so that you can defend yourself. But absolutely. Uh, for me, I just, I like staying fit and staying in the gym. So like for me, it's just, just the gym now. That's, yeah, that's, absolutely. that's all I do. Yeah. Do you belong to a gym or, cause I know there's a lot of hills all around you. No, I, uh, I'm a gold's gym guy. I, you know, I'm somewhat of a gym rat. I don't, uh, I'm not that dude that's going to be, you know, lifting heavy. I just do. I was going to say, is that a big Roy, is that a big Roy gym? <laughs> yeah, it's, you got all these kids, man. You know, times have changed, man. Listen, I tried, uh, I tried CrossFit, like when I was, I'm 55, when I was like 48. Uh-huh. I, I, I couldn't do it, man. All that clean and jerk and lifting with my back. I'm a soccer dude, you know. Put a ball. I've always been afraid. I've always been afraid of CrossFit because of those motions. Uh, I'm afraid of getting hurt. Yeah, well, that to me is that. I mean, when they ask me to carry like this forty pound dumbbell, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, the kettlebell, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And I'm seeing blue star. I'm I'm like, you know, I'm seeing like stars. And I'm dizzy and I'm lightheaded. I'm going, yeah, come on, man. I go, look, I can get out there and run and ball out. I, I don't need to do all this. It was good. It just wasn't for me. So yes. I'm just the type of dude where I, I, I do enough to stay in shape. But like anything else, it's in the kitchen, man. It all starts in the kitchen. But, you know, yes. Ulomo yes. Saltado, Papalo Ancaina, you know, and some good old Mexican food and all that stuff. You, you, you try. Hey, 
As long as I'm doing cardio, I'm good. I call it a, uh, I call it a rice and beans body. <laughs> I, uh, I try to stay away. I love, I love rice. I love I all types. I love all types of rice, right? Oh, it could, it could love. be, it could be Turkish. It could be Mexican. It yes. could be, you know, Puerto Rican rice. It could be any kind of rice, Indian, Indian rice. I love it yes. all. And, uh, you just have to be careful because rice, yeah. it definitely will give you the rice and beans body where yeah. you're like, you're, you're skinny, you're skinny in the arms, but big, big in the midsection. Yeah. yeah as long as look, uh, you know, I, I kind of somewhat have that formula. Look, you, if you're doing 10,000 steps a day and your BPM is at 130, north of 130, especially when you're in your 50s, you know what? Enjoy life, enjoy eating, and but you, you got to do it. And that's why every Sunday for an hour, I go all out. And, and it's, um, yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it, it can be, um, it's bearable, right? I can do it. Uh, suffer a little bit, you know, on the, on the back end, just sore, but stretch, 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 and go right back at it. But I'm just blessed. I'm blessed that I'm healthy and, you know, uh, 55 looks like 45, I hope. Yeah, um, yeah, you look, you look young. I love, I love the... I love the cap look. I wanted to ask you, um, yes. Savage, what's, what's his first name? His first name is Scott. Scott, uh, Scott Savage. Savage is a I'm trying to think player. if I, if I connected with him or not on LinkedIn, I, I think yes. I might've just, we might've messaged back and forth. Yeah. We connected in on LinkedIn. He realized that, uh, in his company, he was lacking, uh, the subject of internal affairs. So we had a really good conversation about it. I flew up north uh, to Northern California to meet him. We sat down. Uh, we came up with the idea of giving me uh, a shot at a seminar, like a test run. And we did it. And we did it. And uh, lucky lucky me that uh, he was impressed. What do you say? Scott? And, Scott Savage? Yeah, it's going to be Scott. And his last name is Savage. Uh, if if we're not already connect connect us um, yeah. together, and so he allowed me to uh, do a um, uh, a presentation in front of like 35, 40 plus uh, sworn officers, command staff, lieutenants, sergeants, and uh, decided to hire me and and said, hey, you know what? Let me brainstorm and design a course that's going to uh, give the audience, the student, an opportunity to learn how to conduct an internal affairs investigation. But at the same time, day two, because you're going to do day one, day two is going to be another instructor that I have in mind where he's going to teach when you get involved in an OIS, an officer-involved shooting, from the minute that you pull the trigger up until the minute that internal affairs says, hey, we're done investigating, we're going home. We're going to combine those two because there's a lot of, there's a lot of procedures. There's a lot of rights that officers need to know about. There's a lot of processes, uh, if you will. And you, it, if you've gotten involved in an OIS or if you've investigated an OIS, uh, there's a lot of moving parts uh, and there's a lot of uh, things to do. And unfortunately, not many sergeants are, uh, are, are built for that. Built meaning they're not ready for it. And so yeah, because it's not tools. one of those it's not one of those things that happens very often. Contrary Correct. to public public belief, right. it, it really it really doesn't happen. I've been in the same uh, precinct for going on six years now, and there was one 
officer involved shooting while we were working and we were, it was right down the road from the precinct. So we all just like went outside, went to it. And, um, it was a pretty wild scenario where the yeah. guy was, uh, the guy thought that he was a burglary suspect and the burglary suspect didn't think that the guy was a cop. So there was a little bit of, uh, you know, did you identify, there was a little bit of that yeah. issue. Um, you, you had mentioned that you had a story when you were on patrol, uh, <laughs> funny uh, ones. You and I wanted to talk about something funny. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah, man. I, we had a radio call, believe it or not, a horse. There was a, there were horses loose at a stable, at a ranch property. In and, Los Angeles? Yeah. Well, yes. So I live in the San Fernando Valley. So San Fernando Valley is pretty big. It's like population of 3 million or more. But okay. There's parts in the San Fernando Valley where it's like ranch properties, you know. Okay. And so we went to a radio call. I, they decided to call 911 and say, hey, my horses are out there just doing their thing. So my part, my field training officer is looking at me while we're going to go to this radio call. And you know what? The more I think about it, the more I realize that maybe he was like, you know, uh, like kind of like a ranch guy. Like he liked horses. Yeah. You know, he had a, he had an interest in this. Of course, I'm like a couple of months out of the academy going, okay, what, what are we doing? Do? What are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing here? And he goes, Hey man, we got to corral him. So here I am in full uniform doing this, running around, trying to get the horses. And mind you, I probably haven't seen a horse in like 10, 15 years, probably. Uh So yeah, I corralled horses uh, as part of my duties and responsibilities, which I had no clue. (laughs) But if it was on body worn video, or if someone decided like today, you know, and just film us and put it on TikTok or something, man, I don't know. Maybe I'll be a star, man. Because if you see a uniform police <laughs> officer, it might have gotten like a million views, bro. Because that that's super unheard of. But it was just comic. It was comical. I mean, at the time, the way I think about it as as I'm explaining it to you right now and telling you the story. But at the time, I was just like, I hope I don't get hit by this horse or the horse comes after me or, you know. Uh, yeah, that that's that's something to uh, to remember. You mentioned uh, body-worn cameras. Do you remember when they came out in your career? Because uh, I, I never really enjoyed watching the show Cops because I was like, ah, I do it for a living. I'm like, I don't. But I actually enjoy watching some body-worn camera footage because I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool, you know? Yes. So-, so 2015 was the birth of body-worn video. And there was an agency in Northern California that had the pilot uh, – for body-worn video. And shortly after, I want to say 2016 is when LAPD uh, pretty much uh, wrote uh, the policy uh, for body-worn video. The criteria. They were pretty much like number one, right, LA? Well, the, the, the agency, there was two agencies that, one of them had the pilot, the other one had, uh, was up next with, you know, with Axon, right? Yeah. But what ends up happening is, is that because LEPD, you know, I got to brag a little bit, you know, we're, we're, we, we set the standard in a lot of police procedures and operations. They waited until our policy was up and running and approved by uh, the state of California. And so then everybody else grandfathers themselves in into okay. that policy. So that happened yeah. in 2016. Yeah, a lot of a lot of local departments wait to see what New York City PD is doing too. Yeah, but, same thing with NYPD. Yeah. Um, 
So, so I, I've seen some pretty crazy ones myself. Um, did they, did they kind of affect your investigations? Cause like it, it's so, it, there's so much data there now. Like it kind of tells the story for you. Absolutely. As it relates to internal affairs, when someone is alleging misconduct against officers, absolutely. We have an adjudication uh, that we call demonstrably false. Uh, Believe it or not, not many agencies here in the state of California, because I've been teaching up and down the state, don't actually have a policy for a demonstrably false adjudication. Because you probably got you probably got people saying that officer was racist. He was spitting on me. And then you watch the video and you're like, none of that happened. <laughs> uh, you and I are, you know, we're at 7-Eleven and we're trying to get a cup of coffee and someone comes up to us and says, hey, I saw these officers throw some up against the fence or the wall. Right. Get their information. Okay. Well, you know what, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Smith, let me uh, look into this and I'll give me about 48 hours and I'll give you a call back. So you go and review body worn video. Never happened. And yeah. so what ends up happening is you call Mr. Johnson, Mr. Smith back. And say, you know what, uh, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Smith, I just got done watching the body-worn video of the officers. And you know what? That's not quite how it actually went down. If you'd like, we can actually watch it together and you can tell me what is it that you observed that perhaps maybe we missed. So what is happening to what? And they say, no, 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 no. <laughs> exactly. I don't know why people waste, they waste IA's time like that. I, I, don't, I don't get it. it you know what? Uh I think they, I think maybe they think in their head that they're going to cause aggravation for the officer. I think that's what they think. If we're, if we're in the business of transparency and to seek the truth in every single allegation of misconduct against an officer, then you know what? Hold yourself accountable and put in the time and effort. So let's not, let's not always just blame or point to fingers that the officer's Uh, did something wrong. Here's the problem. When we determine that the officers didn't do something wrong, right, with whatever alleged misconduct, I want to call back the complainant and say, hey, let's have that conversation. And, And you know what? I've investigated and I've seen thousands of face sheets and not one. Because what we do is we send a letter after it's been adjudicated. Hey, you know what? We looked into this um, and it's it's unfounded. It's not the way you, the sequence of events did not go the way you thought it did. Uh, please give us a call so we can discuss it. Not one person would call. So what does that yeah. tell me? That tells me, you know what? You don't care as much as we should, but we do because we yeah. do. At least you take my class and the way I conducted myself, no stone goes unturned. We'll investigate everything. Uh, no any different than you do is, uh, as your duties and responsibilities as a detective, but you know this. I'm sure you get a lot of victims that, you know, one day they're real heart, you know, hot and heavy. Hot, about hot, hot and heavy. Yeah. Yeah. And then three months later, they're like, nah, I got other things to worry about. You know what? It's no big deal. So let me ask you this. Um, with your, why'd you decide to put your show right onto YouTube? Because that was probably the best um, platform for, to get, you know, as many, uh, as many viewers as I can. And it's going, was that, uh, was that someone that like, did you have some support or like, did someone mentor you on your podcast? No, no. I just, uh, I saw YouTube. I I look at all these police podcasts and, uh, YouTube is it. I mean, rumble is also there. That just, no, no. YouTube is definitely it. Um, there's an event. 
there's an event in LA that you should definitely go to. Okay. Uh, it's called uh, Podcast Evolutions. Um, I'm going to the one that's in going to be in DC in August. Oh, but, send me the info. I would love to. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll definitely send it to you because uh, it's going to be close to where you are, um, and it's in. I think I want to say it's in March. Okay. Evolutions is usually in March, and then they have a podcast movement, which is like their huge conference. That's in DC, and that's in August. But okay. Evolutions is like their smaller one, and um, you can make a lot of connects and learn things. Like the the last, the biggest thing that I learned was. Uh, that, you know, you got to be on YouTube. That was the biggest thing that I learned in order to get your show to blow up. You have, you have to have it on YouTube. Oh, absolutely. You can't just do audio only. No, um, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm doing good, man. You know what? I, I, I've been, I've been fortunate. Uh, you know, LEPD is a brand. A lot of my guests have been on my LEPD circle. My, you know, I'm an alum, uh, I'm, I'm blessed, man. The stories, the niche is different. We are just talking about IA. No, it's uh, definitely, it's definitely different. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah, appreciate that. I like it. Um, I'm going to hit you with my last five questions just to uh, respect your time. Yeah. And not, and not let this go on for hours and hours. Cause uh, we, we, we could, <laughs> we could, <laughs> but uh, what's, what's your definition of a hero? Cause the show is called the hero Academy. Um, everyone has their own, idea their own definition of what a hero is and i like to hear you know what your definition is who a hero my mom is my hero let me just make that you know uh make that very clear uh someone who i look up to right so you have that uh, hierarchy right superior inferior someone that uh, is a problem solver someone you can lean on whenever you have any problems or any uh, challenges, uh, that's what I think about uh, when I think of the word the hero. I appreciate that. Now, when you're starting to get stressed out, uh, how do you save yourself nowadays? Soccer. Soccer. <laughs> soccer we talked soccer, We talked about it. Soccer. Yeah. ESPN, yeah. Um, Dan Patrick every morning. Goal! Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm, I'm a sports junkie. I, I just love it. That's what keeps me, keeps me sane. Sundays is, is my day, man. I, I, it, it's, uh, it's just so therapeutic for me. Yeah. That's, that's how I deal with stress. Would you ever consider offering, um, coaching like one-on-one with people down, down oh, the line? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. How do people reach out to you? A lot of people reach out to me regardless. How, how though? How, how do you, how do you prefer right now, for people? Right now, because of the show, there's been uh, an increase of people reaching out to me. I, I do want to make, uh, uh, now I don't want to make it clear, but what I want to add uh, into mental wellness. So you and I both know, I mean, you're a 27 year veteran. I'm a 25 year veteran. Mental wellness in law yeah. enforcement uh, back in our days was unheard of. Yep. There was no support. Uh, we didn't wrap ourselves around the person. Uh, and here we are 25 years later where they now have firms. They actually have companies and firms where they hire uh, not life coaches, but actually law enforcement coaches, someone that you can relate to, right? It's, it's that um, responsivity principle. I'm going to adapt to the styles and the modality of that person and say, hey, you know what? I was a cop too, and I know what you're going through. So let me hold your hand 
and walk you through this dark alley. So that is great. However, it, it, uh, it focuses a lot on uh, suicide prevention, suicidal tendencies, um, officer-involved shootings, tragic critical incidents, right? We all know that. That, that, that is great. I know, I know exactly where you're going, and I just want to tell you. Lack. Yeah. I want to tell you two things. Yes. No, number one, uh, I don't talk about that stuff at all because there's plenty of people that do focus on that. Yeah. Um, I, that's why I asked you the fitness questions because my, uh, my talk is about uh, burnout, and it's, it's from burning out to burning up and you know being on fire and like passionate and excited about something yes. again. And uh, that's where I know exactly where you were going. That's where it's uh, there's definitely a need for that now. And there's a need for those kinds of speakers. Also, there, there's there's a place for all of us. You know, there's so many different uh, diverse fields. And that's what I tell recruits um, that are thinking about getting on to the job nowadays. I'm like, it's uh -huh. still a great job. And there's a lane for you. Whatever type of personality you are, there's a lane for you. Like if you're super geeky, there's a lane for you. If you're if you're a tough guy, SWAT guy, there's a lane for you there too. Yeah, no. What I was going to say also is that, however, there is no we're, uh, we're we're forgetting the discipline. Yeah, the discipline system. We're forgetting that if you get if you get charged with serious allegations and you didn't do it or the department has it after you. It's a personal vendetta. That's a dark place, man. And you know what? We don't, we don't address that. We don't address how that person's at home. You know, uh, I want to connect you. I want to connect you with a guy who has an amazing story. He was part of uh, the U S task, U S marshals task force. And um, he, he just, I don't want to ruin it, but he just has an amazing story. I want to connect you guys together. Um, and he'll he'll share it with you. And oh, uh, you're talking about uh, 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 I know him. Uh, uh, he he got a hold of me. Um, all right, I'll I'll connect you is. guys. Yeah, I know who he is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I think uh, I think he'd be a, a really great story Ledigar. for like so. His last name is Ledigar. Yes. 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 Robert Ledigar. We already yep. spoken. And he's hoping to come out and, and, and be part of the uh, podcast. So, yeah. So you only do live. You don't do remote. No, I do remote too. Oh, but, okay. You know, I do virtual. I don't have a problem doing it. It's just, you know, it's a little tricky. But it's it is. better face-to-face. -face. It is. It is definitely better face-to-face. -face. I have the space for it too. I just have to like, I have to figure out the setup and everything. Um, it's not a, it's not a heavy investment to uh to set set up a couple of mics. No, it's, it's not. I got the lights and everything. I got the space for it. It's really not a heavy heavy lift. People don't realize it's all the work that comes after like the promotion of it and finding yeah. guests, all the extra other stuff that goes around podcasting. That's all the extra work. But please don't stop. You're doing really really great work. Thank you. Um these stories that you're producing, they need to be heard and they need to uh come out for sure. What's your uh, greatest power, your, your greatest ability? To be able to be, to be, able to be flexible. I, I, I tend to handle stress with humor. I tend to laugh it off. I'm not, I'm not, 
I'm not a, I'm not tight, man. You know, you, life is just so precious uh, to have enemies. Look, if we have conflict, I'm one to resolve it. Um, and accountability. I think that's, that's my greatest strength. You know what? Hold yourself accountable for the things that you did wrong. You know, I'm in a relationship with, you know, the love of my life. And, you know, there's things probably that I'll say that I've learned. You know, I've learned a lot in relationships. This is on a personal note where you'll do things or you'll say things. And you know what? Hold yourself accountable because the way you see it from your lens can be completely different than the way it's received. So just be flexible, man. Don't, you know, don't be so tied up. I love it. Limber, loose. Yeah. I love it. Laugh it off, man. My last question for you, and this is just for fun. If you had a comic book superpower, uh, what would your comic book superpower be and why? Flash, bro. Flash. 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 (laughs) Speed. I never had to speed, bro. (laughs) Man, if I, yeah, I mean, I played forward in my young days. Um, And the good thing about soccer is that you don't have to be like, well, that's not true. I mean, the wing guys have to be fast. But yeah, man, I love speed. Speed kills. You know this. Speed Speed kills. Speed kills. Yes. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, I have uh, I have a poster on my wall. I'm going to show you once we get off of here. But I got a poster of the Justice League. I got the Flash symbol, and um, and I have two action figures from when my they're they're not mine, but they're mine now from when my son from I guess they're about 15, 16 years old now. When my son was a little boy, Uh um. I kept these two action figures, The Flash and Shazam. <laughs> Shazam. That yeah. show was awesome. It was an awesome yeah. show. I appreciate you so much, Marlon. Thank you so much. Um, please keep up the good work. Uh, one of the things that I learned from going to the podcast conference is that you got to do at least 100 episodes um, until until you really find your groove. Yes. So, So please don't stop. Get to that 100 mark. It's a lot of work in between. Um, I, I got slowed down at like 45, 46. I got a little bit like in a rut because I was like, uh-huh. I don't know if I like the direction of the show. But then I remembered I got to get to 100. I got to get to 100 because that's where you find your, your, your true groove. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And Thank I appreciate you. that. Dave, hey, you know what? Thank you for, uh, for having me on. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's like brotherhood. Uh, I know that um, – you know, being in blue is, uh, it's, it's a big, strong family. Uh, I couldn't thank you enough for having me on to, to share my story and, uh, let's, let's keep in touch, man. Yes. A hundred percent. All right. All right. Family. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Everyone I interview, I've chosen for you guys because of this story. And I hope that you get some value every single time. If you did get value or just just simply enjoyed the episode, please share the episode with someone that you know. If you know of a guest, a frontline hero that has an amazing story, something uplifting or a positive message, hit me up in the contact form of www.davidleith.com or DM me at Instagram at davidleith1. Subscribe to the show because I have some really phenomenal guests coming up in the next few weeks that you definitely don't want to miss. All right, one.